Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, guys. Today's episode is with a guest that you, if you've been following this podcast, you know this guest. Um, her name is Dr. Elizabeth Yurth. Uh, Dr. Yurth is the founder of the Boulder Longevity Institute, and she has where she has been practicing tomorrow's medicine today for, oh, I don't know, since 2006, uh, which is a long time. And you know what's cool about Dr. Yurth is it's not just a tagline. That's exactly what she's doing. She's always ahead of the curve. And her experience is a big part of the reason why, quite apart from the fact that she's kind of like a genius and she knows about all these different things, um, her that breadth of experience is a big part of the reason why she can speak to so many different topics. And um, Dr. Yurth is also a member of the SSRP. She's actually a faculty member of the SSRP Mastermind. She's also double certified in physical medicine and rehab and anti-aging and regenerative medicine. She's certified in hormonal medicine, like the whole nine yards. She's, she's, she's got it all. Um, and I just love talking to this woman. Uh, she's such an amazing wealth of information. And today's topic, I think, is going to hit it with a lot of people. We talk about fat loss, we talk about body composition, and we talk about some of the tools that are accessible to medical doctors who are willing to go a little bit deeper. And we're talking about fat loss for people who, you know, it's not enough to just sometimes, as we talk about here, it's not always enough to change diet. Sometimes it's not enough to, we get these clients, I get clients, she gets patients who just seem stuck. Like for some reason, nothing seems to be working for them. And so we have to go past, past the obvious. And with the approval of GLP-1 agonist, uh, the GLP-1 agonist semaglutide recently for obesity, this has kind of opened up a whole new kind of realm in when it comes to fat loss. And what's really cool is when Dr. Yurth gave me the topic, when we talked about the topic for today, it was not just about semaglutide for fat loss, but then she says, but I also want to talk about its benefits for cognition for the brain. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And of course I know better than to say that. What I now do is I go straight to PubMed. I start digging up some papers and lo and behold, there it is. There's all these amazing cognitive benefits that are also associated with semaglutide or GLP-1 agonists. So we talk about that today. And then we talk about this really cool uh, stack of other compounds that you wouldn't necessarily put together for fat loss and also for improving physical performance, um, both for men and for women. And I'm not going to steal this, the thunder of the podcast here. I'm going to let you guys listen to the podcast to find out what they are, but it's a short one for me. Anyway, it's only 48 minutes, so um, it shouldn't be too much of a chore to get through. Um, and um, yeah, so to reach Dr. Yurth, if you want to learn more about Dr. Yurth, just go to boulderlongevityinstitute.com or boulderlongevity.com 
And she, there's her bio is there. And I mean, I could sit here and talk for 10 minutes just to get through that bio. It's so impressive and amazing. Uh, but what's most impressive and amazing is the woman behind the bio. And I think you'll agree that she's just a gift, right? Just great to talk to. And um, also you can follow, follow her on Instagram at Dr. Yurth. And uh, yeah, if, um, but before I get into the, if you get value out of this episode spiel, I have to say that please make sure that you remember that all of the information in this episode and every episode of this podcast is for information purposes only. Guys, remember, everybody's different. And especially when we're getting into compounds like these that are medications and they're very powerful, they're not always going to be right for everybody, even though we talk about compounds that turn white fat into brown fat, which sounds like, okay, this is the answer. This is a solution to my problems. It's every solution is not necessarily the right solution for every person. So you've got to talk to your medical professional. You've got to sit with someone who's got some background information on these things, can apply it to your particular case to make sure that this is right for you. Okay. So make me that promise. Listen to the podcast, enjoy it, but make sure that you don't just go running out and get your hands on this stuff and start throwing it willy nilly into your routine because it can backfire. Um, beyond that, if you get value from this podcast, please make sure that you share it out with your friends, with your networks, um, leave us comments, leave us a review because it's those reviews that help us to rank up. And when we rank up, that is when we start to have the ability to get even better guests. Well, not better guests, more great guests. We couldn't get better guests. We get more great guests um, to bring you amazing content every week. Um, what else can I tell you? So if you're looking to, to connect with me, you can find me through my website, which is natnidham.com. You can find me on Facebook in the Optimizing Superhuman Performance Group. You can find me on MeWe if you're not a Facebook person in the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Group. You can find me on Instagram at Natalie Nidham. And if you're listening to this and would like to watch the interview, you can go to YouTube, to my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Natalie Nidham. Didn't come up with anything crazy um, creative on that one. And uh, you can watch the episode there. So thank you so much for being here, guys. I You can't imagine how much I appreciate you uh, allowing me to do this, which is one of the things that I love next to helping people one-on-one -on -one and coaching people. I freaking love this whole business of podcasting. It's so fun. Um, and I get to meet the best people and help more people than I can possibly reach one-on-one. -on -one. So thanks again for being here. I appreciate you and enjoy the episode. Hey folks, before we launch into the episode, just one thing, we have a sponsor drinkhrw.com. This sponsor is all about the magic of molecular hydrogen, and they make the most incredible molecular hydrogen products. They make molecular hydrogen tablets that you can easily just drop into your water every morning as you start your day. They actually even have flavored ones in raspberry flavor, if that's your jam. I like mine uh, plain with a squeeze of lemon, but I also love the raspberry. They even have tablets tablets that you can drop into your bathtub to soak to get a whole body treatment of molecular hydrogen and tablets you can drop into a bowl of water and apply to your face. And so you might be sitting there wondering, so big deal, why would I drink hydrogen? I mean, hydrogen is the smallest molecule on the periodic table. Who cares about hydrogen? Well, let me tell you, you care about hydrogen. A lot about what we talk about in this podcast is about health span, 
and lifespan. It's about aging well. It's about longevity. It's about managing your body system so that you can look, feel, and perform your best. And molecular hydrogen delivers on these points like nothing else does. Think about this. Molecular hydrogen actually combats oxidative stress as well as supporting a healthy inflammatory response. Now, we know that inflammation is at the root of virtually every major disease out there. We also know that it help, it makes us basically age faster. So I would qualify molecular hydrogen as a preventative aging supplement, and it is one of the easiest, healthiest, best out there with zero negative side effects. It indirectly mitigates the damages of those three issues that ultimately lead the way in virtually any disease state and fundamentally is are the driving forces in why we age. We're talking about imbalances in oxidative stress, in inflammation, and as well as increased insulin resistance. So you don't really have to take my word for it, guys. You can go to the drinkhrw.com website, and I'm going to tell you that it is one of the most incredible repositories of research and articles all about molecular hydrogen. And you know what I love about this company is they don't just run around telling you how great molecular hydrogen is. They don't just cherry pick the best research articles. They're full on, flat out, pretty honest about this article, this clinical trial. Well, it didn't show us much yet. Here are the flaws in it, or here's what we think. It's an incredible resource, but I can tell you that Whatever it is that you're dealing with, there's probably a clinical trial going on somewhere um, looking at whether or not molecular hydrogen can be helpful. And I will tell you that in my practice, I've seen it be helpful to all kinds of people, people who are suffering from joint pain because molecular hydrogen is able to target inflammation, because it's able to support a healthy inflammatory response in the body, and it also promotes antioxidant and oxidative balance. You guys, you don't want to just be taking antioxidants by the handful. You want something on board that's going to help keep you in balance to not too high, not too low, just keep you in that Goldilocks state. So like I said, I have clients who were blown away about how effective this molecular hydrogen, taking it every day, sometimes soaking an injured joint in molecular hydrogen water, what a difference it made in their mobility and in their ability to recover um, from their injuries and even also, of course, from workouts. So you're going to be hearing me talk a lot more about molecular hydrogen in the future. This is just the tip of the iceberg. I encourage you to go to drinkhrw.com forward slash superhuman, and you can use promo code longevity10, and that will get you 10% off everything that you purchase. And you can try molecular hydrogen for yourself. And by all means, reach out to me and let me know how you liked your molecular hydrogen experience. And by all means as well, please, please, please check out their website. It is one of the most incredible resources that I've seen for molecular hydrogen research. So thanks for being here today, guys. Enjoy the episode. Betsy Yerth, it is a pleasure to see you again. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. You know, I always love being here. We always have fun. Oh my God. We, and we always, we always have our podcast talk after the podcast. <laughs> Eventually we stop talking and I'm like, so when exactly do you need to go? I have a, I have a patient in an hour. Okay, time to go. <laughs> so we're going to be super efficient, but we are talking about, well, I think, you know, we were just saying this. I think it's everybody's secret, favorite, only real goal, even though they don't like to admit it. 
It's, and, and actually there's two things here. It's fat loss and better brain. And I think if everybody could be smarter and skinnier, they'd probably be just perfectly happy. <laughs> yeah. I think it's that, that you're, I mean, you're right. Everybody's underlying still. Um, I, you know, what people end up seeing us for probably even more so their brain quite often, unfortunately, probably is, is, is body composition, right? Yeah. It's that they want, people want to be ripped and lean and look good. And, you know, it appeals to all of us, you know, even though we know that underlying that, that, you know, the better brain is really important and everything else is really important. We still are pretty vain. in general. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and, and you bring up such a good point, I think. And I do think that people, people are, for the most part have gotten their heads around this whole idea of body composition versus weight loss, right? People are, are starting to really, and I mean, you know, people in, in, in our profession, well, your profession as a doctor, my profession as a nutritionist and a coach, like we've known it's about building muscle and losing fat all along, but I think consumers are coming along now and catching up and saying, yeah, okay, I get, I need muscle. And, you know, in the longevity space, you need muscle. Like you get all these people who are obsessed with blocking mTOR and, not eating protein and oh, because you'll live longer. And I'm like, well, you're not going to live longer if you're like a rag doll, like, right? Or you'll be miserable. Exactly, right. <laughs> that is that whole kind of push to longevity, blocking IGF, blocking mTOR has a downside, right? That you can't build muscle and do that at the same time, and so you have to sort of weigh that. But I also think you know you maybe see a um, a select people. Pe you know, you have a very intelligent crowd and these select people. I would say I think in general, and especially unfortunately, maybe in the young generation, like my you know, my 17 year old daughter, 18 year old daughter, you know, that thinness and that model thinness. I mean, we're seeing it a little bit, a little bit less, but they still are the people she pulls up and looks, she goes, Oh, look, mom, look at how great she looks. Like, yeah. I think she looks skinny, you know, um, yeah. there's still a little bit of a push, particularly in that younger generation of girls, unfortunately that, you know, it's not, they don't understand muscle as much as they understand just being thin and looking good. And, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. so I think that, that we still have to really emphasize that it, it is not, you know, body fat, is, is really important, but muscle is your currency of life and you've got to have muscle. Absolutely. And actually, you know, it's interesting. I was reading an article yesterday um, about Victoria's Secret and how they're doing away. Did you I read that too? This? Yeah. Um, I'm like, it's about time. Like they're doing away with this whole angel culture. Yeah. Um, and starting was for and men, it, right? Here's it, it, it was for men. It wasn't for women here. They're trying to sell lingerie or whatever to women and they're putting these, you know, they're, they're selling to men. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. It was, yeah, so now they're trying to take people who are more, uh, you know, leaders Human. in the field or, you know, you know, yeah. Right. And so that was, that was really cool. I was happy to see that too. Yeah. But I think it's going to take time. I, I, you know, I do think it's going to take time because those, those ideals that the younger girls, and frankly, we were in it ourselves when we were, yeah. when we were oh, yeah. kids is oh, yeah. set out by the media as this is what you need to look like. This is how, yeah. you know, these are, this is how you're supposed to look in all these clothes. And, right. um, and that hasn't changed so much. So it's nice to see at least like, you know, I was in Montreal last weekend and I walked by a couple of stores and their mannequins were, were full bigger. of figured. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Athleta's doing that. I know. So Athleta's mannequins are all these different sizes now, right? Some are short and fat and some are. Yeah. yeah so Athleta's kind of doing that, you know, which I, I think is somewhat good. Except I said to myself, and I said, well, so some of these, the, the mannequins were like, 
really big, like yeah. big fat mannequins. And I thought, okay, well, I don't know that we're trying to advocate that being fat is particularly good. I know there's a culture of acceptance of everybody and everything, but we also want to emphasize that, you know, it is not okay to be fat, honestly, you know. Well, metabolically and from a health perspective. Yeah. And, right. and that's where. Right. It's, it's okay. Yeah. From a, you can still be a great person and be fat, but it's not healthy. Yeah, no. And, and so hitting those health markers. Um, and I think that there's some, there's definitely some, uh, there's been some, some talk or some studies that have shown that you have people who can be of a larger size who metabolically are still quite healthy. Their blood markers are good. Right. Everything looks great. And so to that degree, the acceptance of your physical reality and being healthy yeah, and exactly. fit and strong. Right. Sort of the, the fit fat, right? Where they're, they exactly. do look- you might look at that person and say, wow, they look a little overweight. And yet when you look at their numbers, they're better than mine. I'm like, wow, okay, whatever you're doing is working. Just keep <laughs> Rock on, <laughs> exactly. As opposed to skinny fat, right? Person who exactly. looks super great and is inflamed and a Right, you look at their numbers and they the look hood. horrible. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, so today we're going to talk. <laughs> I don't know how we got down this rabbit hole. <laughs> Let's see if we can pull ourselves out of here. Our MO is always this. And now we always end up, going down 10 different directions, but we'll try and focus in because I think this is such a kind of an interesting topic is, you know, what can we actually use to help ourselves and our clients and all, you know, and all the listeners to, to help with fat loss, because there's so much cool stuff on the horizon now. Exactly. And I think, you know, we're obviously at this point, I think we're talking in, in this podcast in particular, we're going to talk about compounds and strategies for people who don't eat, who can't easily get that body recomposition they're looking for. They're sleeping, they're managing their stress, they're eating on paper, they seem to be eating great, they're doing all the right things. And for whatever reason, the body is just isn't responding. So what's the next level? And for me, the next level is talking, you know, hooking up with someone like you or or someone, you know, someone medically who can now bring in some of these medical tools that can help to move the needle for people and assist their bodies. And, you know, the first compound we're going to talk about, and when you sent me the email about what we were going to talk about today, you're like, oh yeah, we're going to talk about GLP-1. And I'm like, oh yeah, GLP-1, blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, yeah, for fat loss and cognitive benefits. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? So off I went into PubMed and I'm like, holy crap, of course she's right. I mean, I knew you were right, but look at all this stuff. So let's talk about, you know, these GLP-1 agonists what they are, I, you know, some of the downsides people know, well, first of all, they're super expensive, but I think they're starting to come down a bit. Um, But, you know, some of the the goods, the bads and the uglies kind of thing. And then let's talk about how there's receptors all through the brain (laughs) that speak to GLP-1 agonists. Right. So I think, you know, what prompted this is we just had the release of one of the GLP agonists, semaglutide as a drug, Wagovi, that was approved now for fat loss. So the GLP agonists have been widely used for quite some time now for diabetes, for type two diabetes. And they're, you know, they're, they're pretty effective drugs for type two diabetes. And there's a slew of them. There's oral ones, there's injectable ones, they're, slow, they're short, short acting, they're long acting. And, and again, uh, approved by some insurance companies here for, for, OB, for or diabetes. But what they found is that they also had beyond their effect for diabetes, a a separate effect on weight loss. And so as of really literally just a few weeks ago or a month ago, um, semaglutide, which is a once a week long acting Mm -hmm. GLP or glucagon like peptide agonist, got approved for fat 
people for obesity. So basically for helping with weight loss and, and again, super expensive drug, if you can get it covered by insurance mm-hmm. and that means being having a, a BMI of greater than 30 or greater than 27 with some comorbidities, which still entails a fair number of patients, then you might get it improved. And I will tell you my luck in this arena has not been great. So even though it's approved, getting it approved, getting it paid for by any kind of insurance company still seems very difficult. And lots of times you're, you're talking about a thousand dollars a month out of yeah. pocket for these drugs, unless we can get them, you know, in some cheaper fashion, but as you know, as, and, and so the, so the, the semaglutide came out as the most effective of so all semi- of these GLP one agonists. Semaglutide is Ozempic, right? I, I think so. Yes. I think it's Ozempic. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's a once a week injection. Yeah. And, and it, and it, it really, it took a relatively high dose, higher than even a lot of diabetics of type two diabetics use. It took a 2.4 milligram a week dose to really encourage fat loss, but the fat loss was significant. It wasn't super rapid, but it was pretty significant where people over a year's period of time without changing diet lost like 20% of their body fat. So, you know, so it was really, or body weight, we'll say, because it, it may have, you may lose some muscle as well with these drugs. So, well, but especially but, when there's no behavior change that comes oh, with right. it. You right. You're not so, changing behaviors, you know, yeah. and, and diet and things like that. So they're, you know, and they're, they're working on, it's, it's a multimodal mechanism. You know, we know that one of the things they do is they just, uh, they help with when you eat a carbohydrate diet or any food really, and we need a appropriate insulin response. They help with that. So they help with the insulin release when we eat food, um, without, without storing and having super high insulin levels. Although you might see insulin levels on these patients go up temporarily. It doesn't seem to be a sustained effect. So don't, mm-hmm. you know, when, if you guys do these and you're like, oh my God, my insulin level went up. You will see that temporarily. So that's not an uncommon effect temporarily, it then levels out. Um, so, so, but we also know that they, they do other things. They work on the brain to, to basically discourage eating. So you lose the desire to eat. Some would say it's because they make you nauseous, but even after the nausea is gone, they still create less desire to eat. Yeah. I've seen that. I've seen that in clients. Like they yeah. just, I mean, I get yeah, to the point where I worry. You really, you really, you just, in fact, you know, some people really don't want to eat much at all. And that can be an issue too. You and I talked about that is that, well, if you're trying to still build muscle and work out, you need to be still eating some food. If you have no desire to eat, that's a problem. Yeah. They also slow gastric emptying. So you're full longer. So a small meal serves you a lot longer. So, so you know, if, if you have people who are overweight because they just can't stop eating, these are very, it's a very nice option for that. But even without changing diet, they still have an effect. And that's where probably it's just better insulin regulation, but also some interesting data showing the whole gut microbiome coming back into play here. And hmm. that, that the long acting, and not as much the short acting showed a dramatic change in the gut microbiome bending towards the, the microbiome we like to see in thin people. So it seems like when we slowed this gastric emptying and over an extended period of time, which is why the long acting, the once a week seemed to work better for this, you actually saw a very dramatic change in gut microbiome without doing any, anything else, without changing really? fiber intake or anything else. So maybe one of the, this kind of paying out is maybe one of the mechanisms that's helping and maybe why they, they can, why sometimes you'll see a, a sudden weight loss in people when you put them on these, this drug, they'll be like, oh my gosh, I lost a lot of weight and then it stopped. Yeah. And that may be where initially the effect was due to some of the changes in insulin regulation and some of the brain chemistry and just the less desire to eat. But that 
can that that probably changes that probably adapt to that a little bit. And what then kicks in is this changed gut microbiome that really mm-hmm. seemed to change actually where the whole, you know, our, our, our whole fat milieu. So that's probably why you see sometimes this initial effect, less effect, and then so you see start a plateau, slowly losing weight after that. And then so you get a plateau and then start losing weight again. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Oh, that's Especially so Especially now if you add in things like, you know, your short chain fatty acids, butyrate, um, and, and some anaerobes, things like that. So, so I think that that may be what's going to pan out as one of the effects. There also, if you remember that whole, that there's a connection. So between our intestines and our brain, remember the vagal nerve carries mm-hmm. messages from our brain to our intestines. So one of the other thoughts is that actually this whole change in the gut microbiome is actually how now having a neurochemical change on our body in neurotransmitters, which may also be inducing some of the weight loss with this. So, so we knew, we know it has less, or we know it has more effect than simply its effect on discouraging eating because you're, you know, you, you don't, you, cause you're full faster. We know there's, there's, there's a lot beyond that, which makes it a very interesting drug. Yeah. But like that's talked about whenever we're looking at these drugs, right, you have to say, okay, what are the potential downsides? And I think that's where this drug fascinates me is that its potential downsides are probably, if you, it may, if somebody has a family history or of a high risk for thyroid cancer, there may be a risk to this drug. Okay. So, but beyond that, it looks like it has significant benefits for brain health. Um, and that's to me where if I'm going to say, okay, first of all, I, I want my patients to get their, their body habitus the way they want it. But one of our primary goals, you know, in our business, right, is preserving the brain. Yeah. And right sure. now, what and longevity know, and vitality, yeah, yeah. that whole thing. Yeah. So if I have a drug now that I can put people on that I can say, wow, I'm going to help you with your weight loss, which is your goal. But my goal is to make sure your brain is, is healthy. And initially the thought was it's going to help brain function simply because we think about dementia as a type three diabetes, right? Yeah. It's an insulin dysregulation in the brain and it may help with that, but it appears it's much deeper than that. So that's, what's really cool about the GLP one agonist is that they are directly affecting the astrocytes to reduce inflammation. So there's a really marked anti-inflammatory effect of the GLP one agonist on the brain. That's independent of the insulin the dysregulation of insulin in the brain. And, and that's still being investigated. Um, and, and there's a company who started a trial in December uh, using, so they're in phase two trial now, I think, yeah. uh, maybe it's phase, phase three, I'm not sure, in December, of using these drugs as a potential to, to halt Alzheimer's and maybe even reverse because it appears to, to actually, once you get this inflammation down the brain, people regain cognitive function, not just stabilize cognitive function. Yeah. Well, I actually read in this study that it reduced beta amyloid plaque in, and, and not that, because it's interesting, it's what this new drug is hanging its hat on, right? It's clearing right. amyloid plaque. And right. then it's an antibody and to it, the beta amyloid. Right? And it doesn't seem that that's the whole answer. Like beta amyloid plaque is present, but we don't know for sure that it's causative. And yet, obviously, excess buildup is going to have some kind of a negative effect. But anyway, it was just interesting to me that it seemed to reduce the beta amyloid plaque and it protects against the oxidative stress. Like it's, to your point, it just seems to have all this multifactorial effects. Right. And, and let, you know, let's talk about that because this new drug that just got released 
and it's a very expensive drug and mm -hmm. its claim to fame is it's an antibody to beta amyloid plaque. So it does, we do know it minimizes or reduces amyloid plaque. The problem is when they reduce amyloid plaque, that doesn't seem to actually change people's cognitive abilities. Mm -hmm. In fact, the drug's claim to fame is it reduces your decline by about 47%. So all it's doing is slowing the decline of the disease, not repairing or preventing the disease. And it's a $60,000 a year drug. So exercise, on the other hand, has been shown to have the same effect of reducing the decline in Alzheimer's patients, but by about 50%. So exercise is a better effect than this drug that's $60,000. And yet people are very, very excited by it. And I think, you know, it's exciting, but, you know, I, I think the technology is exciting, but you're right. Amyloid plaque is a secondary problem. Mm -hmm. It's in response to inflammation and it's a misfolded protein. And we've talked about, you know, this, when, when we have too much oxidative stress and uh, too much inflammation, we get these misfolded proteins our body can't deal with. When those start to accumulate, that's a problem. The protein itself is, a pro is being stored up because of inflammation. So I can bind it all I want. I'm going to make more unless I treat the underlying problem, which is this yeah. kind of neuroinflammatory oxidative stress cellular problem. That's what you have to fix. So now we have a drug that actually may work more at the cellular level to actually help. So you don't get the inflammation that's creating the beta amyloid plaque that's storing up and now you have to try and stop or bind. So I think it's clearing the amyloid plaque more on a base level, which is yeah. why it may, have, it, it may have more significant protective benefits and reversal benefits because if I reduce yeah. inflammation right now, I can think more clearly. My brain works better. My cells work better. So I think that's what where this drug is going to be fascinating. And I think you know, we keep an eye on this study because it, it, I think we'll find that these get released as drugs for potentially treating. And I hope actually maybe preventing, if you're a high risk, like an APOE person, maybe preventing dementias, because I think that that's going to be you know, a huge key. So I think it, you know, so if you're looking at a drug that has almost zero downsides, aside from the fact that, yes, it, when people first start on this drug, they nausea can be an issue. So lots of times you have to start low, build them up, um, warn people, you know, your appetite's going to decrease. You're probably going to be, be a little nauseous when you first start it. You, st you, you can start as low as you want. And if you start super low, usually people tolerate it well, and then they build yeah. up. Yeah. Well, it's a bit like uh, setmelanotide. You can titrate it up gradually yes, and avoid, exactly. avoid yeah. that horrible nausea. But I think one of the things that, one of the things that I think might even improve the performance of some of these drugs and particularly, well, whether it's weight loss or fat loss or cognitive health is taking the opportunity to help people to improve their diet to a very nutrient dense diet, because you know, I'm like explaining to people, like if you're going to eat only 20 bites versus 50 bites, well, now you only it, have it 20 bites. Food. Yeah. You only have 20 bites to get like, let's not forget that food's not just energy. It's, it's information, right? So you got right. to get the right nutrients into those 20 bites. You know, you no longer have the, the wiggle room to eat a bunch of crap and along with your good food, like you better get that good food in. And then, you know, and then if you have room left over, which we both know you won't, you can have the crap. <laughs> I think that's a huge point. You're right. And, and I will tell you one of the things that I find this with metformin too, um, which, you know, is a good weight loss drug as well, but uh, is that you actually get less nausea when you're eating healthy food than if you're eating like a carbohydrate laden meal, whatever, really? for whatever reason, like, and I don't know if you, you know, if you experiment with metformin much, but like if I eat 
if I take metformin and eat carbs, I feel like crap. But if I eat really healthy, I'm fine. And I've noticed that with Exenatai, which is one of the short acting GLP-1 agonists, I do fine if I eat healthy. If I'm eating just high protein, low carb diet, I'm fine. If I eat carbs, it makes me feel kind of yucky. So I do think there's a little piece to encouraging good behavior just because you feel better. <laughs> well, maybe also because of the slow gastric end- emptying, yeah. right? So the carbs yep. take up so much space in your gut. Yeah, right. You inhale a big bowl of pasta. And if you're stuck with that big yeah, bowl of pasta in your, in your stomach, stomach. <laughs> it's not going to make for a pleasant time. Now, do you yeah, find, exactly. you know, so I'm going to dig in a little bit with my nutritionist brain here. So with these GLP, with this type of, of, drug, which is going to reduce the amount of food that you eat. It's going to slow gastric emptying. Another strategy that I've been trying out with some of my clients is saying, okay, well, let's try to really ramp up those digestive enzymes because if people aren't making enough HCL and they're not, they don't have good digestive enzyme capability in their gut and the food is sitting there a bit longer and you're just kind of feeling crappy, you're not absorbing enough as much of the nutrients because you're not breaking the food down properly. Like, I'm wondering if, you know, actually taking this up a notch and getting away from the study that said nobody changed anything, they just took this and they lost 20% of their body fat by the end of the year. What if we changed a few things? What if we changed what they eat? We optimize the way that their digestion and we get them moving, you know, could we exponentially get better results from from these types of treatments. Sure, and and maintained results. I mean, they did notice, you know, GLP-1 agonists that when people stopped them, they did actually yeah. still maintain some weight left, but they gained weight back, right? So you've got to encourage, how do we use this period of time when we're getting people more motivated and they're losing weight, they're seeing weight loss, yeah, but that makes them more now more motivated to start eating, right? I do want to comment on your point because I, I think, it, you know, there's some very interesting research coming out looking at, sort of the root, the starting place of a lot of dysfunction, you know, that, that goes on from the gut microbiome and everything else starts up higher and looking yeah. at like bile acids. Yeah. And there's some really clear evidence that some early dysfunction in biliary acids and bile acids may be one of the things that even starts some of the cascade from dementias and things like that. Huh. We've been focusing a lot more on that and trying to kind of correct bile acids in patients who have a lot of issues. Well, and how um, many people do you know with gallbladder issues? I mean, people, right, have, gallbladder people issues. it's like the gallbladders become the new appendix. Like people just have their gallbladder. Right. It's like, oh, don't need it. Right. And tons of people have delayed gallbladder emptying. But even if you look at your, your, um, your ulcerative colitis, your irritable bowel syndrome, people yeah. go back because a lot of those people, you've got to fix the bile acids. So we use, we use something called Tudka, um, yeah. you know, and it, it's a simple supplement you can buy that works really nicely to help bile acid production. You can use ox bile too, but I actually think Tudka works a little bit better in people who have significant, significant. And ox bile is gross. And um, yeah, <laughs> to, be, to be clear, those little itty bitty green tablets are, even though they're, itty, no matter how fast you swallow them, they're disgusting. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so I think you're on to like, okay. And then having people make sure that they're in a little, you know, I, I have you know, most of my patients, you know, taking Alka-Seltzer gold in the morning to, to be in a more acidic state. So potassium bicarb basically. So they're, so they a little bit more of a metabolic acidosis because that's going to help. I mean, Betty biliary function is going to help. I think we ignore that piece and you're right. We remove the gallbladder, like it's nothing. Um, And yet the, the, one of my friends who is a doc who treats a lot of ALS patients really thinks even things like ALS, some of those neurodegenerative diseases begin with some biliary dysfunction, some gallbladder dysfunction. So we've been working with that and take like, if you're irritable bowel syndrome 
people have them start taking some Tudka. Makes it, you know, everybody's giving them, we've already fixed all the, you know, we've, we've put them on the antibiotics already once and we've, we've given them so many probiotics, they're coming out their ears and, you know, and nothing's better. You've got to look up higher. You've got to look at biliary issues. Um, and, and so I think you're right. And I think that may be a starting place where a lot of obesity even too, is if you're not digesting your foods normally from square mm-hmm. one, that may be a problem, right? Well, you're going to build uh, up short-chain fatty acids. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to just build up deficiencies over time. Like, and I mean, it's all kinds of deficiencies, right? right? Like you're, you don't have enough HCL. You're not, you're not chelating your minerals. So you're not getting your magnesium and your calcium. Like it's, it's such a chain reaction. And it is so interesting that, you know, the further up the, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Like the, the further upstream you can go to bring correction in and optimization, always, hopefully the less work you're going to have to do further downstream. Always. Exactly. Yeah. It's always true. Yeah. Um, And that's true at the cellular level too. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think the other thing, you know, that when we, when we talk about these drugs and you think, you know, wow, great GLP one agonist, this is so wonderful. Everybody, when semaglutide got this authorization now for obesity, it was like, finally, we have an answer for obesity. And, and I am thrilled by that because I do love this drug. I think it has some huge like, benefits. I do think yeah. it helps with weight loss. Um, but like I said, super expensive. Yeah. So, and, and you and I would love to say, well, if, you know, if you just eat right and exercise right, you don't need these things. We know it's not true. It doesn't always work. I mean, there is a population of people that, that get stuck and, and, yeah. you know, and you've done, and for you, especially, I mean, you've done the hormones, you've done the, but you do, you like you do everything. all the things. It? Yeah. No, they did a great study. I can't remember when it came out. It was years ago now where they actually took those people who said, I cannot lose weight doc, honestly. And we, as doctors always go, mm, they're just lying. They're not really just eating chicken <laughs> yeah. and vegetables, right? You know, that's, I guess that's really what your thought is. There's no way yeah. they're, they're not eating snickers in the corner right yeah (laughs) so they put them in a hospital setting right they put them in the hospital 24 7 being monitored and they fed them at very specific times and and very specific foods where they had no excess calories and they didn't lose weight yeah and so they they think of this you know it's a kind of a whole group of genetic people and it may be the people who are designed to survive the zombie apocalypse because right Right? if you can eat nothing and still not lose any weight then you know then and everybody else has, is trying to scrounge for food and you're like, ah, I don't need it. You know, yeah. so there may be a piece of survival in those people that they are meant to be the survivors a little bit, right? They're meant to be able to sort of keep their fat on through thick and thin and, you know, only lose weight when it becomes completely in dire, you know, zero food. And so those, those, we do know there are people who truly cannot, you know, they're not lying to us. They truly cannot lose weight. And, and, and one of the things I think in those, those people is that you, you do have to use things sometimes like using things that are metabolic stimulants and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to increase metabolism, be that by exercise or sometimes medications that you can do that with. Uh, so I think that that's one, one group that we have to sort of say, yeah, sometimes you have to bend to, you know, maybe using some metabolic stimulants in those people. Like I do use fentramine in my practice. I try not to use it for long periods of time, but sometimes to kickstart metabolism in those people, I'll use yeah. a little bit of fentramine. Yeah. You but know. it's under medical supervision. You know, I think right. where people get in trouble with that stuff is when they're, they get their hands on it and they're willy nilly just right. Just taking pounding it, it for a period of time and, or extended periods of time. And, you know, I think it speaks to the difference between very finely tweaking levers as a medical professional, watching people's metrics and blood work and all that stuff 
versus, you know, even the biohacker just throwing a bunch of stuff at themselves, hoping that it lands. And, right, exactly. and you know, there's a lot we can do for ourselves. And, and definitely we want to empower people to take control of their health and, and that kind of stuff. But when you start to get into these more, I don't know if you want to call it more complex compounds that are, you kind of have to understand the pathways that you're tapping into so that you don't risk mucking something up along the way. Or, right. Or, no, you're exactly right. Yeah. You know, this is, you know, and that's where I do encourage people who are, you know, I'm really struggling with this to, to, to reach out because there is things we can do. I think there's a big give up because sometimes these people who are like, Oh my God, all they're going to do is tell me again to eat my chicken and vegetables. And, you know, and, yeah. and, and I've done that and it's not it's working over for it. Me. Yeah. Um, it, you know, and then the other group, I think that there is some issues with, um, are people who have, I think there's an inflammatory and, you know, fat cells in themselves are inflammatory, but inflammation also creates fat. And I think there's people who genetically have high levels uh, or upregulation of some pathways that are creating some inflammatory cytokines that are mm -hmm. encouraging fat storage. So, the, so those are the, that group of people, and sometimes you'll recognize them that they're the people who also like, they're the ones who on your forum are always like, oh, every time I do a peptide, I get a reaction. Those are sort of immune upregulated people, right? Yeah. They're, they're hyper immune response people. So they may also people who have a little bit of these inflammatory pathways that are just accelerated. So when I hear those stories on my heavier people, then I start working on things to modulate those pathways, right? And that's where I'll use things like low-dose naltrexone um, is, is great for modulating inflammatory pathways or a drug that it was studied years ago, and I really don't know what happened to it for weight loss because it was really beneficial, called Mlexinox. And Mlexinox is a immune modulating agent that was used years ago for rheumatoid arthritis, and it's super safe and it's very well tested. And it, it then got abandoned because these nice expensive biologics came out and people forgot about it. But it's still around. You can use it for aptus ulcers when people have like canker sores in their mouth, aptus ulcers in their mouths. It's really helpful. But it works very primarily on a couple of the pathways that are encouraging uh, these inflammatory cascades that are turning brown fat into white fat. Remember, white fats are bad fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And brown fat is our metabolically active fat. Yeah, we so want we want brown fat. We want lots of brown fat, right? So when we're yeah. little kids, that's why little kids <laughs> like don't babies. get cold, right? Yeah, they, <laughs> you, you know, we're, we're all bundled up in our coats and you put like, you know, your, your four-year-old outside and they're like, they're fine. And we bundle them up because we, we're, we're cold. Um, but <laughs> yeah, we're projecting they have a lot of brown fat and that's keeping them nice and warm because it's metabolically active fat. And so in our lives, we want to turn all of our white fat back into brown fat. So when you, when you block some of these inflammatory cascade pathways, you actually do that. And that's one of the places Mlexinox was shown to be extremely beneficial. And in fact, in, in people who have more of this immune modulated fat, and lots of times they'll be visceral fat people that have a lot of belly fat. Um, and you put them on something like Mlexinox, you'll see pretty significant reduction in fat and sometimes, you know, really rapidly. Really? So that's what we have to sort of, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it is. And I, and I use Mlexinox for a lot of immune modulation because it's a, it's a safe, easy medication that I can offer people that's not expensive at all. You have to have a compound it, but it's not expensive at all that, you know, that we can immune modulate these people who have these just sort of, you know, inflammatory pathways that are turned on. Um, what about, um, cause I remember a, a couple of podcasts ago. Now we've, re we've recorded enough podcasts together that I don't always remember what we said on which one, <laughs> but, was, but there was one where you talked about using thymus and alpha one sometimes with your 
patients who come in who are very inflamed, they're struggling mm-hmm. to lose weight. You're again, you're, you're modulating the immune system. Right. Assume, I mean, basically because TH2 is over, overactive, TH1 is yep. down. Mm-hmm. So you're rebalancing. So is that kind of in this same world of LDN, yep. TH1? Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Thymosin alpha one's working a little bit, uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's helping that, you know, TH1, TH2 pathway. Sometimes we have to work a little bit more on some of the, um, cause TH, times alpha one will lower TNF alpha interleukin six, but not quite as dramatically as things like low dose naltrexone okay. will. So yeah. it's not working quite as some of those inflammatory cascade pathways to lower some of those inflammatory cytokines. Um, and, and, and so the, like interleukin six, we know is bad for fat storage. So how can you lower interleukin six? Well, low dose naltrexone is a great way to do that. And there's other ways, epigallocatechins, things like that. But ECGs, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, ECGs are great. You know, one of my favorite things. But, but you know, Mlexinox really targets some of the cascades that seem to be very related to fat. And when they, when they took mice and they put them on a, a pretty, pretty good dose of Mlexinox, they they couldn't get fat. They, you know, so so interesting. It's a drug that if you the studies go back to like 2014, and there were some pretty some pretty like wow, this drug looks amazing, and then it just sort of disappeared you know, it gets forgotten by other things. And, you know, so I think it's something, another drug we need to kind of relook at. For yeah. Fat and loss. are there any downsides to it? Are any? No, you really major? don't see, you really don't see downsides to Mlexinox. Huh. Honestly, it's, it's very well tolerated. It doesn't seem to have any significant risks. Um, so it's a really, you know, it, it's a good medication that kind of got forgotten in the realm of newer, bigger gun medications. Yeah. So again, that's sort of targeting. So when you, so again, when we're, we're looking at all these different causes, so just like a lot of diseases, right? There's probably not one simple answer for all mm-hmm. these people because they, they're heavy for a lot of different reasons. Some people it's because they just eat like crap and don't exercise, right? But in other people, it really is yeah. things where things have gotten so miswired yeah. that trying to, to even get them back on track, you're going to have to pull out these targets. And you know, so, so, so the GLP-1 agonists are working on, on this sort of insulin pathways and, and, um, and maybe some brain pathways and micro, gut mm-hmm. microbiome. And mm-hmm. then we have to look at the inflammatory cascade pathways where we're saying, okay, let, let's try and really reduce inflammation in these people using things like Mlexinox or low-dose naltrexone to, you know, or thymosin alpha-1 to try and reduce the inflammatory cascade. And that's going to work really well in some people. And maybe and you, uh, have to put all these things together, right? Yeah, no, for sure. And are you seeing the inflammatory markers in their blood work typically? So you can see them in the blood work if you, so, but sometimes even, you know, so, you know, remember C-reactive protein, which is always a kind of go-to inflammatory marker. It's not, you know, it takes a lot to elevate C-reactive protein. Yeah. That's why I'm asking, like, do you really have to dig deep? So you really have to dig deeper and, you know, you can do tests like CytoDX, which looks at every single, but remember the other thing that happens is our inflammatory markers, our interleukin six, our TNF alphas, our interleukin, you know, 18, they're going up and down. So I rely a lot more on, looking at my patients and listening mm-hmm. to my patients. And these are patients who lots of times have a kind of a host of problems. Lots of times they will be more belly fat, you know, accumulated. They're, they are the people who lots of times they'll tell you, Oh, every drug I take causes a problem. Oh, every, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, they, ever, they have food sensitivities there. You know, so those are people, you know, are really dysregulated. So sometimes you can just listen and say, okay, one of the reasons you're heavy is because you do have this inflammatory process that we're going to have to get into, into check. So, so listen to your, to your, you know, to your, to yourself and to your patients and to your clients is really helpful from that realm. I, I think 
in a best world, if I could test everybody with for every inflammatory marker, yeah. great, but it's a lot of money and it's not just not, it's, it's not feasible. So we've got to sort of use our intuition a little bit. We've got to go back to kind of using that. Yeah, no. And I, I think that's, I mean, I think that's the beauty of someone like you who has this experience and you can, from speaking to a patient, looking at a patient and seeing how they respond to different things and say, you know, there's a really good chance that this is going on. So let's try this and see how it goes. And I, you know, that's the value of experience blended with knowledge and research. I right. mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's that it's the magic that makes you amazing at what you do. Um, so before we run out of time, because I know that there's going to be a lucky patient who's going to get to talk to you in 20 minutes. So we're going to make the most of our time here. Um, there was something else that we were talking about earlier Um, And this had to do with improving uh, athletic performance and endurance using some really interesting compounds. And I'm looking over one of the, like there was a blood pressure medication, there's low dose Viagra, there's high dose leucine, there's a little bit of metformin. I mean, you're kind of like a cook. You're like, we're going to use a little bit of this (laughs) and a pinch of that and this and this and this and this, and this is what's going to happen. So (laughs) why don't we talk to people a little bit about this combo that you, you've, come up with has been studied actually for fat. So, so for fat loss is using actually low dose leucine, someone probably around anywhere from one to four grams. And you know, the debate's a little bit out there, but using low dose leucine and, and I throw low dose leucine into the mix with a lot of these other medications, because remember what, what low dose leucine does and not, not high dose, oddly, but lower oh, right. dose so yeah. under four grams, you actually, it's, it, it, it it's protein sparing. So it allows you to now put people into more of a deprived state, like with the, the GLP one agonist and actually get some protein or muscle sparing effect by using low dose leucine. So low dose leucine has been studied a lot in fat loss. Probably it increases muscle. It increases, you know, conversion of, of white fat to brown fat. It increases metabolism. So low dose leucine is a really nice, easy supplement you guys can add to anything you're doing, especially if you're dieting or fasting, because remember fasting, yeah. Can you maintain muscle when you fast? Probably actually not. Now, can you maybe not lose it? Yes. And then gain it back rapidly with the refeed. But in general, if you're fasting, it's hard to build muscle. You're going to, you're going to at best maintain muscle. So by throwing low dose loosen into the mix, you'll get some effect to, to spare some muscle, which is a really important thing when you're doing things that are, you know, encouraging fat loss. We want to mm-hmm. spare muscle. I have a question about that. So uh-huh. you're saying loosing over EAAs. Yeah, just leucine, just low dose leucine. Leucine on its own. So, and that you said one to four grams or milligrams? Yeah, so the studies are kind of across the board. So, um, the two grams seem to be sort of the sweet spot dose in one study. And then in a more recent study, mixing low dose leucine with Viagra, so like the Sodanafil, five milligrams, that you that the a dose of four, four milligrams of the leucine and five milligrams of sedanafil, especially with added metformin really helped with fat loss. So that combination of sildenafil, low dose leucine and, and metformin has a, over any of those drugs on their own has a dramatic loss of fat. Um, wow. It seemed to be particularly beneficial in people who had more hyperinsulinemia. It seemed to be more beneficial, oddly in the African-American population, they did very well, but in general people over, about three months period of time, lost about four times as much fat as people following the same diet without taking that drug combination. So, mm-hmm. so that's a kind of an interesting, you know, combination. And again, um, you know, low dose Viagra, five milligrams a day, women can take it too, but 
when you the other the other piece that you talked about was was performance. So metformin's kind of anti-performance because it's an mTOR inhibitor, right? Yeah. So it's it's not as great when you're trying to have somebody who really is trying to also increase athletic performance while they're trying to lose fat. So one of the things we'll use is using the the low dose sildenafil, five milligrams, with what's called an angiotensin receptor blocker, um, called telmisartan. And telmisartan is a blood pressure medicine, but the ARBs, the angiotensin receptor blockers, combined with sildenafil, showed both fat loss and an improvement in in sports performance. We know we know that the Viagra's, the Cialis's are actually they're they're WADA, it's a WADA violation to take those. So if any of you yeah. are being tested, you can't take them because they do increase performance, probably because of their vasodilatory effect. You're just getting more blood to the muscles. So by increasing that blood flow a little bit, but the, the again the sildenafil had effect that was completely beyond its its vascular effects, um, you know, and so sort of interesting. It may be on kind of a genetic effect, sort of an epigenetic effect, but it really encouraged that that brown fat, white fat conversion, white fat. Again with fat. the brown fat. Oh yeah. my and, God, that's so then, cool. And then <laughs> the ARBs have sort of a complex mechanism of how they work. They can lower blood pressure a little bit, but you're using a preload dose. And I haven't found that to be an issue in most people. So that combination of using sildenafil with an angiotensin receptor blocker is really been kind of nice, especially for visceral fat. And for people who are trying to maintain muscle, throw low dose leucine in there. You do that, those three, you're going to increase performance while you're losing fat um, and, and hopefully maintain muscle. So you're kind of getting the best of all, best of all the worlds. And it's really a quite safe thing to do. Really, these drugs are, are, are well-tested, have been around a really long time and are really pretty safe to do. So, so that's kind of a nice combination. Those are just little sort of tricks that, you know, that you, you, when you're helping people with these fat loss, everybody is such an individual and we try and take each of those patients and say, okay, well, let's try this approach. That doesn't work. Let's throw this one in. Um, but you can see it's kind of a little bit more of an art, which may be why it's so difficult mm-hmm. for fat loss when you have know, these clinics that are just trying to do fat loss. It's an art. Sometimes you have yeah. to work on inflammation. Sometimes you have to work on, on, on um, more changing this whole milieu of how your fat is, 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 is stored. Well, I would Sometimes say the, work on yeah, the inflammation piece is always going to be, I think it's always going to be the thing you're going to want to look at first. But what I'm, what I'm seeing here and what I love is that, you know, so the GLP wrote really for people who are overeaters who struggle with portion control, like all that, like that whole side of it, for sure. You know, that population of people for sure. Yeah. Hyperinsulinemia. Yeah. People, yeah. People have insulin levels over 12, um, definitely insulin over levels over 12. Those people are, are going to do really well with it. But I also now I'm thinking about it in my patients who, you know, I, I will probably start if I can get it in any kind of affordable fashion, start taking it more for the brain protection, the neural protection. Mm. I, I keep an eye on this. I honestly think it's going to be a, such a valuable tool in that you know realm. So if I can keep now do something that is helping my insulin levels stay nice and low, it's, it's working on my gut microbiome, right? Reestablishing a really healthy gut microbiome, which we know is important to everything. And it's preventing me from getting dementia. It's a really nice, I think the G, I think the GLP-1 agonists are going to replace metformin as our go-to anti-aging drug because metformin huh. does have downsides because of its, we really don't want to. I know there's no. an argument in this realm. You do not want to inhibit mTOR all the time. No. GLP-1 agonists are going to work on other factors that are having the same benefits in metformin without the downsides. 
so what dose of GLP-1 of the, of the um, semaglutide are you seeing for, what did they talk about dosage? So, on oh, the, yeah, no, the weekly that? dose that really helped with, with weight loss, with fat loss. Well, that was 2.4 milligrams. 2.4 right? milligrams. Could you do a lower dose for neural protection? Don't know the answer to that. I think mm. the answer will be probably um, that, that, because if you look at it from like, we don't, you don't have to use 2.4 milligrams for insulin control. You can go much lower than that. You can get patients on half that dose and they do fine. Um, but for fat loss, it really took a fairly high dose. Now, why is that? You know, I don't know. Is that what dose it takes to make the gut microbiome better? Is that get the, the brain better? I don't really know why is because obviously we got insulin control at a lower dose than that. So it's not just insulin control. You got satiation at a lower dose than that. So we know it's more than that. So why is the higher dose so beneficial? I'm not sure we have the answer to that. Hmm. And I don't know if maybe the answer to people who, you know, want it just as a neural protective agent would be using a lower dose. I think probably, I think if you can tolerate and afford the higher dose, maybe better. Um, But but I think those are going to be answers that are going to be panned out over the next year or so. Right. Well, and as long as it doesn't stop you from actually eating enough, you know, like yeah. there is a point where I think there's going to be a point of diminishing returns if people just can't eat. Um, as, yeah, at I least- don't see that. Now. I, don't, I, mean, I don't see people not eating on it. People adjust to it and they seem to do pretty well. Yeah. Um, like I said, it does seem to encourage eating, you know, still eating a little healthier meals, eating your protein because, you know, big carb meal just doesn't feel as good. But I don't, I really don't see, and, and again, the effects were independent of, you know, mm-hmm. it helped, but they were, there were effects that were independent of that. So I, I think that that's the, the eating thing. And I think the muscle, main, you know, maintaining muscle, using a little bit of leucine is helpful. But I, I think that, that in general, I, I, I find that most people, it's really the first couple of weeks on it, you have trouble. Yeah. And after that, yeah. you start to adjust on it. Yeah. I'm really excited about this other stack. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's cool. Isn't it? I mean, and we're, we're sort of just starting to experiment with that some kind of, you know, and, um, and starting we sort of research, Hey, what would be the perfect thing? And there's some very cool studies on using the leucine, you know, um, leucine sildafinil and, and with metformin really kind of, um, for fat loss, I think if you just want performance, the telmosartan and sildafinil are good, but that's also going to help with belly fat for guys a lot too. Um, you think more guys so than women? I don't know. I, I see more guys who get that big belly fat than women, but we see, I mean, we've, we've used it more in women because we just have more women who come to us for weight loss. Um, it seems to be beneficial and, and we're finding it's helpful in a lot of our patients who other things are not helping on. So, hmm. so we'll see, I'll, I'll keep you posted because it's a little bit of a newer trial we're doing. Okay, cool. The, uh, the Boulder Longevity Institute <laughs> stack trial. We're, we're always, yeah. What, what, one of our, and Brian, who was who my peptide specialist here is, yeah. you know, he, he and I are just avid readers. And so we're just like, you know, we'll like catch something and then we'll go, oh, we'll go down that rabbit hole. You do this, right? You yeah. go down that rabbit hole where now you're like, oh my God, well, you know, and you start reading this stuff, you know, this is, this is fascinating, you know, and uh, <laughs> that's amazing. No, I love it. I think it's, uh, I mean, you guys must have so much fun. You actually posted about a picture of the two of you. Yeah, not that long yeah. ago. And it sounds like uh, right yeah, he's a really, he's a brilliant guy. And he's like, you know, he's a peptide guru. He's a kind of, he's the smartest guy knowing peptides. <laughs> That's me. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, you actually uh, connected me with him when my brother was having surgery. Yeah, that was, uh, he's, he's definitely a, he's, yeah, and he's just a really good guy. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice guy. So, okay. Well, I think we've packed quite a lot into this episode. What do you think? <laughs> Did we leave anything on the table that we didn't, we wanted to talk about that we didn't? I think we're good. No, we'll save it for next time. Okay. So any parting <laughs> words, you might actually have five minutes to go to the bathroom before the next patient. Before patient. <laughs> um, 
No, I appreciate you. I appreciate your listeners listening. I, you know, thank you guys. If you want to, uh, if you want to, we put out, we just put out a course called what to fix first. If you go to BLI.academy and sign up for that course, it's kind of a, you know, when you're overwhelmed by all this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, where do I start? So it's a really helpful course that your listeners might want to be, you know, just look into. Um, yeah. Otherwise, follow me at, at Dr. Earth and, and Border Longevity. And we're happy. We have patients all over the world. So we're happy if you guys want any consults on any of this stuff, we're happy to see you and talk about it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm constantly sending people your way. I'm like, oh, you need to talk to both longevity. <laughs> and you know what? They always come back and go, oh my God, that was amazing. So, so thank you for all thank you do. And yeah, um, Dr. Yurth puts amazing content out on Instagram and um and yeah, and Boulder Longevity Institute, like that, that course sounds amazing. I'm actually going to have to yeah, check it's pretty, it out myself. It's actually, um, people have been really liking it because it kind of gives you a, and some of your listeners are probably above, above this, but we've tried to bring it to at least a, you know, look at this first and then look at this and then look at this mm-hmm. so that people have a little bit more of an understanding instead of sometimes being overwhelmed by, uh, you know, oh, I've got so many things that people are telling me to do. Where do I start? So it's a good place yeah. to sort of get a start. Amazing. Well, thank you so much and uh, have an amazing rest of the day. Bye. Bye now. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the biohacking superhuman performance podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. Just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again. And we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.